At the beginning of the year, we had about uh, 14, 16 uh, college and young adults, college age uh, students and young adults go up to Atlanta for a conference called Passion. Uh, there they learned many things about the heart of God uh, for his people, for his world, the heart of God uh, that beats for justice, that beats for the broken, for the lost. And our folks have come back and uh, many of them want to share the things that the Lord God has done uh, through them and in them and what their hopes and dreams are for our congregation and for our world as they come back here. So not all of them are going to share, uh, not all of them are going to share today, but not all of them are going to share, period. But um, if you'd like to receive uh, reflections that these folks have typed up and, and sent um, kind of as they process through after a few days, after a, a week or so, uh, there's a sign-up sheet on the bulletin board where you can write your name and your email address and that'll be sent to you. If for some reason you're stuck in the Flintstone ages and you don't have email, just write your phone number and then we'll uh, give you a hard copy uh, for you to, to have. Okay, So um, we're going to hear from Hannah Kim. She's a uh, fourth-year student at the University of Central Florida. Uh, she went and uh, was really uh, challenged by the Lord, and she's going to come and share. So let's give her a round of applause. We greet her. Welcome her to come. Good morning, everyone. Um, for friends that I haven't met yet, my name is Hannah, and I'm just going to briefly share about some of the things that God has taught me today. I mean, not passion, not today. <laughs> God internally wrecked me through Passion 2011. He used speakers such as Francis Chan, John Piper, and my family group to speak to my soul and challenge my heart. Francis Chan encouraged me to be bold in my faith and make sure my life balances the weight of the gospel. John Piper asked a question that struck the core of my faith. Do you feel more loved, happier, because God makes much of you? Or do you feel more loved, happier, because God enables you to make much of him? He explained that there's only one room for one person at the bottom of our joy, Jesus or self. And a lot of people are all into God because they think that God has made them the bottom. He ended his sermon by relaying this message from God. I love you, and you are so precious to me that I will not let your preciousness to me become your God. I will be your God, and I alone. I was completely unaware of how selfish my faith had been. Somehow, I even made my belief in God about me. How was that even possible? I was placed in a family group with a bunch of beautiful girls from all over the country who each had special God-given experiences to bring to the table. The community groups really made a large experience to become personal, applicable, and safe. In the morning, we would write our names on a sheet of paper, tear it out, and draw each other's names to pray for one another during the day. As each sister communicated her heart to the rest of us, it seemed as though at least one other person had a similar experience or words of wisdom to offer. Evidence that God particularly chose each one of us and grouped us together as one for his name. The sisters I have befriended are people that I know that I can casually call up or text to share my life. There were a lot of people at Passion, a lot more people than I'm normally comfortable with. Much of our time was spent waiting in long, unorganized lines to get through doors, escalators, or hallways. It was during these times that I realized that I'm just in their face, in a sea of faces, just another body, just another girl. There are many beautiful, gifted people that are living for his kingdom. God is a global God, and he's doing big things. God does not need me. And yet, for some odd reason, he wants me. He pursues me. Why me? Just another ugly, broken, hurting human roaming this earth that usually puts herself at the bottom of her joy. But by the cross, my ugly is wiped clean and replaced with the seriously undeserved righteousness. I'm invited to sit at the dining table in the kingdom of heaven. 
No matter how many times I sit and think about this, it remains a truth difficult for me to swallow. Today, he invites me to be a part of his, what, he's, what he's doing and what he wants to do in this dark world. My life is really not about me. As a church, I would like us to become a family that finds it a privilege to be a part of God's love story and the big things he's doing today globally, rather than using him for our own little worlds, knowing he makes much of us. Let's be filled with joy because he, he enables us to make much of him. Thank you. Will you pray with me real quick? Father in heaven, thank you for what you've done in Hannah and in these others of ours who went to passion. We pray that you would continue to remind Hannah of these amazing things and truths, that you continue to shape her and mold her into a woman who's passionate for your glory, that you do this with all those who went as well, continually reminding them, causing them to move from mere intellectual assent and and mere being stirred in their hearts to really taking all those things into action. May that be true of us as well as we hear your word now. Would you meet with us for your glory? We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Um, we are talking these, these last couple of weeks, first couple of weeks of this new year, we've been talking about this idea of uh, just expecting more from God. And I really, um, man, I, I don't want us to place limits on what God can do in our lives and, and through our lives. And I really hope that um, you're taking this to heart, that you're really taking these things to heart and believing that God has so much more uh, in store for you than uh, what we may be experiencing right now. We looked at that first in, in terms of seeing that God is able to do immeasurably more than all we could ever ask or imagine, that anything that we could think of and, and, and just load up on God, he says, I can do more than that. Is that all you expect me to do? And that we would expect more from God. And then last week we looked at uh, the reality that sometimes we, uh, see people in our lives who struggle with their faith, and it's easy for us to kind of write them off or to write God off or give up on them or give up on God. Um, but the challenge is that we would continue to, uh, to, to press on and to take a hold of the promise of God in their lives. Today I want to talk about, um, to, to help us a little bit, because I, I, I know that some of y'all may be saying, yeah, I want to expect more from God, but I don't really know what that looks like. I don't know what that means. I don't know what that, what that practically, tangibly looks like. And so I want to lead us into a, a, a prayer uh, to guide us into a prayer from Scripture that is a prayer of a man who expected more from God. And as we look into his prayer, I think it can set a really powerful uh, pattern, uh, a paradigm, so to speak, of how we can pray in order that we might expect a lot from God. It's going to come from First Chronicles chapter 4. And if you've ever read through, tried to read through the Bible, there are certain parts, as you start from Genesis and, and try and go through Revelation, certain parts of the Bible that you probably get stuck at, right? Some of these may, might be the book of Numbers. I know uh, someone in our single cell church was saying that uh, Numbers is where sometimes they get stuck, uh, Leviticus. But a lot of people get stuck in, in First Chronicles because the first uh, eight or nine chapters is a listing of uh, genealogy. And it starts with the very first, it starts with Adam, and it goes on and on and on. And so nine chapters, there's 500 names. And so people are like, do I really need to read this stuff? <laughs> do I need to read it or can I just skip over the sons of Levi, the rest of Kohath's descendants, Benjamin was the father of Bella, his first. Do I need to read all these things or can I just skip through it? The interesting thing is that in these uh, first nine uh, chapters, 500 names and nestled in them, in chapter 4, verses 9 and 10, is this little dude, and we only know 71 words about him, but his name 
to many, uh, has become quite popular. Uh, chapter 4, 1 Chronicles, verses 9 and 10. Uh, 44 names pop up in the first eight verses of 1 Chronicles. And then, starting in verse 9, we see this little jewel hidden in this field of genealogy. 1 Chronicles 4, 9 and 10, this God's word says, Jabez was more honorable than his brothers. His mother had named him Jabez, saying, I gave birth to him in pain. Jabez cried out to the God of Israel, Oh, that you would bless me and enlarge my territory. Let your hand be with me and keep me from harm so that I will be free from pain. And God granted his request. That's God's word. It's very interesting here. You see, you've got this genealogy, you've got all this stuff going on, all these names, and he made him, and he was the son of him. And then all of a sudden, as this chronicler is writing these things, he decides to just take a moment to pause and, and, and give a brief commercial about this man named Jabez. And as he's thinking about all these people, he writes this story. And again, in, in my Bible, it's about 71 words. Don't sit there and count it. But it's about 71 words, and then nothing else is said of him. But for many, uh, for some at least, Jabez has become a household name. Why? It starts out by saying he was more honorable than his brothers. Uh, his mother gave birth to him and uh, named him Jabez. He gave birth to him in pain. And then he goes on and he, he tells a story about this prayer that he prayed. Jabez is known not for what he did, but for what he prayed. Okay? Not for what he did, but for what he prayed. And it says that he was more honorable than his brothers. And then it goes on to not just say he prayed a good prayer, but it lists the contents of his prayer. And, the, and, and what Spurgeon and all these great commentators say, the reason he was more honorable is because of this prayer. So what is it about this prayer that is so honorable? We want to talk about that today. Actually, we're going to look at this two weeks. If, if we can... Just his prayer. This is his prayer. Oh, that you would bless me and enlarge my territory. Let your hand be with me and keep me from harm so that I'll be free from pain. If we could just break it up into, into four things, four phrases, eight words. This is how I would define this, this prayer. The first thing he says is bless me. Second thing he says is use me. Third thing is help me. Fourth thing is protect me. I think there's an order here. God, I want all that you have for me. Bless me. Not so that it's not a selfish prayer. Bless me so that I might be used by you. But in order to be used, I need your help. And if I'm going to be used, I need your protection as well. Bless me, use me, help me, protect me. Four things. We're going to look at the first two today. Bless me and use me. And then next we're going to look at help me and protect me. And I think if we, if we can understand this, guys. And this is, this is not like some uh, magical incantation or a wizards of waverly place just say this thing and then boom here comes this this beautiful uh, it's like what is that insurance commercial the all-state commercial where um, these ladies are talking and they're like i want to i want a new insurance agent and this guy pops out and they're like i want a good looking one and then he changes me on this good looking guy and uh it, it's not like that you say this oh that you would bless me indeed and poof, all of a sudden we've got like a million dollars in our bank account we don't know where it came from it's not like that some people might think this is a selfish prayer, but I think at the very heart, it is a very personal prayer, but it's not a selfish prayer because it's praying for things that God wants to do in our lives. Rather than being a selfish prayer, this is an invitation for God to give us what he wants to give us already. A, a, a selfish prayer would be praying for something that God doesn't want to give to us and demanding it when he doesn't want to give it to us. That's what it is to be selfish. But this prayer, just like the Lord's prayer, rather than being this like magical mantra that we pray and then expecting these things to happen, if we get the heart of it, 
if we get the heart of it, it can be a powerfully uplifting and expectation enlarging kind of thing. And that's what I hope and pray that it is for you because it's been for me. So what does this mean? Uh, first thing, bless me. Second thing, use me. Here's what we think of. We think of this thing, bless me. What do you think? Um, if I were to pray for something, if you were to pray for something, you say bless, right? maybe you're, you're praying. Uh, typically when we pray for you, God to bless somebody, it's usually a lazy shortcut in prayer, isn't it? You're like, oh, I'm too tired to pray for their needs. So God bless my husband, bless my child, bless my wife, bless my church, bless all the people who don't know you. Amen. Right? Isn't that what we, what we usually say? Bless people. God bless them when we are lazy. Right? We don't want to pray for them. We've got to pray for our small group members, our, our cell church members. We've got, to pray for, we've got to pray for our Sunday school class. So God, uh, yeah, I'm really tired and... But I, I do pray that you bless them, God, that you bless uh, Sarah and you bless Minsan and you bless Albert and you bless David and God, help them to, to really be blessed. Amen. A lot of times that's how we see blessing. But what Jabez is praying when he says bless me is something on a whole different level than that. Whole nother level. Here's what we mean. Uh, three things. We have to understand something about Jabez first and then something about what it means to be blessed. But here's what Jabez means. The first thing that we see is that his mother named him Jabez, saying, I gave birth to him in pain. The Jabez name was a play on the words pain, sorrow. We don't know exactly the circumstances surrounding his birth, but one thing is clear is that when his mom gave birth to him, she was filled with pain and she was filled with sorrow. And so she said, your name will be called Sorrow. Your name will be called pain. And from the eighth day, which is the day that babies were named forward, he would always be reminded of the circumstances surrounding his birth. You brought me sorrow, Jabez. Your life will now forever be marked by sorrow. Because you know that in those days, in biblical times, a name wasn't just something that you used to to call somebody to identify them, but it was a symbol of their destiny. Which is why when Jesus said, Simon, you're no longer Simon, you're going to be Peter. When God changed Abram's name to Abraham and said, you won't be a great father, you're going to be the father of many nations. That became his destiny that he lived in. And so here Jabez's destiny is laid out for him. His mom says, your life is going to be one of sorrow. It's going to be filled with pain. It's going to be filled with heartache. That's his story. That's his life. So from the eighth day, the cards are stacked against him. Maybe you felt like this. Maybe the circumstances surrounding your birth uh, brought pain and brought sorrow to your parents. I don't know what that might look like. But perhaps that was the case, and they told you about that. In all of your life, you're growing up feeling like I'm locked into this kind of a destiny. You should have been a, a boy, maybe they said. Oh, and, and you always live in your life trying to win the approval of your parents. Or we were young, too young when, when we had you, whatever that might be. You know, I, I have mentioned this before, but there's a, he used to be a football player, but he's an evangelist named Billy Glass, and he does a huge prison ministry. And he went into this prison, uh, this famous story in, in Texas, and a thousand inmates were there. And he said, how many of you were told by your parents that one day you would end up in jail? He said, almost every single one of them raised their hand. Right? How is it to be locked into that kind of a destiny? That's what Jabez was. Jabez, your life is going to be a life of pain, a life of sorrow. But not only that, 
why was it so painful? For maybe it was economic difficult. Maybe she, it was a very difficult childbirth. But something interesting, as you read through the enti- all these genealogies, Jabez is the only person whose father is not mentioned. So perhaps this has something to do with why there was such sorrow. Maybe he was born out of rape. Maybe he was, an, he was most likely an illegitimate child. Father saw him and said, I don't want to take care of him and, and, and said, see you later. I'm out of here. I don't want to deal with this child. But that's two strikes against Jabez. The third thing it says, actually, this is the first thing. Jabez was more honorable than his brothers. This is more a statement about his brothers than it is about him. Like Jabez has a pretty jacked up family, like sketchy people all around. And so you look at Jabez's life. He's from eight days old. He's got these bad, bad brothers. He's got a mother who doesn't think much of him. And then he's got a father who is absent, whom he would never know. And Jabez is sitting in this place, and you can imagine someone like that. Maybe I, all of these bum things dealt in his life, and there's this sense of whatever he's feeling inside. And maybe all of his brothers said, you know what? This is what our lives are destined to be. This is it. We got no dad. We've got a mom who doesn't really care about us. We're just going to do our own thing. And that's our story. But Jabez was more honorable than his brothers. He didn't just say, this is my lot in life. He says to, to, he prays to God. He says, God, that you would bless me. I'm not going to stay where I am. I'm not going to stay in this level of mediocrity. I'm not going to stay in this place where I am. God, I want all that you have for me. And I'm going to rise above that. And he claimed that inheritance from God. And he said, God, that you would do something in me that nobody could do for me. See, I think a lot of times this is the way it is. You heard about the guy who had this pain in his, in his butt because he was sitting on a nail, right? You heard about this guy? And so he's trying to figure out why is it that my, my, my butt is hurting so much. And, and so he, he goes to the doctor and the doctor says, well, obviously what you've got is this is uh, symptomatic of, uh, of, of nail in the butt syndrome. And he says, well, do you have a prescription for it? He says, well, he, he wrote him a prescription. And then he goes to a psychologist because that didn't do anything. And so the psychologist says, you know what? The reason you've got a pain in your backside is because your parents treated you badly as a child. And he said, well, that's helpful to know, but it doesn't do me any good at the end of the day. And so he went to a, a, a psychotherapist. And the psychotherapist just looked at him and he kept saying over and over and over, it's not your fault. It's not your fault. It's not your fault. It's goodwill hunting, right? It's not your fault. And so he, he went to the university and the, and the professor said to him, the reason you've got pain in your backside is because you're uneducated in the, in the ways of nails in your butt. And so he just sat there dejected. And he's like, I don't know what to do. And so this little boy walked up to him and said, you look like you're in a lot of pain. He said, yeah, I'm in a lot of pain. He said, why don't you just take the nail out of your butt? I think a lot of times we're just sitting there with this nail stuck in our butt and we feel like we're a victim of our circumstances. Like people have made fun of me all of my life and that's all I'm going to be. My parents said this about me. They said, I'm never going to be good enough. And so I'm living under this. That's my ceiling. I'm never going to be good enough. And we've got this ceiling of our parental expectations or non-expectations weighing us down. And we're like, that's what they said about me. I can't rise above. That's all I am. But Jabez was almost defiant in this prayer. As you read it in other contexts, it says, oh, that you would bless me indeed. Saying, I'm not going to stay stuck in this place. 
I'm going to rise above it. I'm going to invite you to do something in my life that nobody else could do. See, here's what a lot of times we do when we, we realize I want to do something about this. When we feel like life is, is stinky, we seek blessing. And here's what I mean by that. Blessing, again, this is something that is a little bit ambiguous maybe in our culture. But one thing that I know is true is that we all long for blessing. Now, I was saying this earlier. Um, don't you feel like after you sneeze, like in a room this big, right? Somebody sneezes. If no one says, God bless you, don't you feel like you've been a little bit gypped? Like, did no one hear that? Hey, no one heard, I, I, I thought I was loud enough, but no one said anything. And then someone else sneezes and like three people say, bless you. And you're like, well, what about me? Right? We all want blessing. Whatever we think blessing is. About to, you, you want to date this girl and your mentor or your, your parents don't approve. Say, I don't think we can get married. Why not? Because I, just, I don't have my parents' blessing. That's all I want is my parents' blessing. So one time I was uh, in, in college and I, was, um, I had joined some people who had already eaten. And there's this guy named Brian, uh, Brian Hale. He's an African-American brother, uh, really um, you know, fired up for God. And he had already eaten and I had gotten there and he said, oh, since you came, I'm going to sit and eat with you. So I, I prayed for my food. And I was just praying for the people around the table. And I, you know, it was like not a 10 second. It was about maybe like a 20 second prayer. And he said, Ooh, can I eat some of your French fries? I said, yeah. And he started like, like shoving French fries down his mouth. I was like, Oh man, uh, leave some for me. And he's like, well, you prayed for such a long time. You blessed the food I wanted to receive in the blessing of that food. You're weird, but we want to be blessed. Whether we know what it means or not, we want blessing. Blessing, one simple way to put it, blessing is, is favor from other people. It, it, it's, and it's not just something like someone says something nice about you. You, you remember in uh, Genesis uh, 27, 28, 29, where uh, Jacob and Esau, you remember this story, these brothers, Jacob is kind of like the pansy one who's loved by his mom. Mom loves him, probably did ballerina when he was a child. That's, that's Jacob. You've got Esau, he's the big, tough, hairy guy, right? He's got lots of hair. Um, he's like caveman, uh, this really tough guy, and his father loved him because he was a man's man. He was a hunter, right? He was a, the hunter. And, and so dad loved him. Jacob, always living under the shadow of his older, hairier, more masculine brother, always wanted to be like him. But all of his life, his dad never recognized him, never blessed him, always blessed his, young, his older brother. And so what does he do? He tries to steal the birthright from him. You remember this story. He makes this red soup, and they called it red stuff. That's what the soup is called. He said, give me some of that red stuff. And, and so Esau uh, t- takes it. So Jacob steals the birthright of the firstborn, which is basically the physical material blessing. I'm sorry, the, yeah, the physical material blessing. But at the end of his father Isaac's life, Jacob desperately wants the blessing from his father. The blessing, not a physical material thing, but a spiritual and emotional blessing for his father to pronounce over him that I have hopes that I've got a dream for you. That's what he longs for. That's what he wants. And so here's Jacob, and he's wrestling with this stuff. And, and, and so his mom says, I've got an idea. Put goat skin on your arm so that you'll be hairy like your brother. And your dad, because he's going senile, will touch your skin, and he'll feel that you're, just, you're Esau, and he'll bless you instead of your brother. And so he says, that's a great idea, mom. I don't know if it's going to work, but we'll try. And so he dresses him up and puts these goat skins on him, and he says, dad, bless me. And his dad says, you sound like Jacob, but yeah, you feel like Esau. Because remember, his mind is, going, is, is cuckoo, right? And so he says, no, I am Esau. Bless me. 
And so Isaac puts his hands on him and he blesses him with a double portion and all these great things. On Jacob, rather. And so Esau comes walking and he's like, Dad, I'm ready for my blessing. Now, if blessing was just a simple pronouncement of, of, of favor, then Isaac would be like, oops, I messed up and I gave your blessing to Jacob. But come here, son, I'll give it to you also. He doesn't do that. He, get, he just like gets in this like crazy, like, he's like, oh my, oh, I, 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 I already blessed Jacob. How can I bless you now? And then Esau goes crazy, like pulling out his hair and he's like ripping his clothes. And he's like, oh, I want the blessing. I want the blessing. Right? Why? Because it's so much more than just favor. And when our lives are like Jabez, when we feel like we've been given a raw end of the deal, most of us will do what Jacob did. We'll seek blessing from other people. We'll even dress up like somebody else that we are not in order to have the right people give us their favor. I know my, all of my life, and maybe some of us say, all of my life, I've never been able to get the blessing, the favor from my parents. But I know I don't want to be a doctor, but I'm going to be a doctor so I can finally gain their favor. We dress up like somebody that we're not just in order to have their blessing. Or we go to school and we're like, you know what? This kid, he's a cool kid in class. I just want him to like me. I just want his favor. So we dress up like somebody we're not. We curse like them. We cheat like them. We do the things that they do just so that they can look on us and say, you know what? I favor you. We go to do the things and and go to the place that we don't want to go to because we just want this person's favor. If If I can just have this guy to like me. And to give their favor to me, then yeah, I'll give my body to them. I'll compromise just so that they, because we've got this emptiness. We've got this longing that we just want someone to satisfy. And so we dress up like someone that we're not just to be accepted by them. That's probably what Jabez's brothers did, but he is more honorable than his brothers. He says, I don't want the blessing of people. He says, God, that you would bless me. That's what I want. That's what I want. I'm going to lift my eyes above this. I'm going to realize that I'm not meant for this kind of lifestyle. I was meant for so much more. And God, I want all that you have for me. That's what the divine blessing is. It's saying, God, I want all that you have for me. Nothing more and nothing less. He says, God, I know you've got something for me. And that's what I want. He says, I'm going to get off my tack. I'm going to get off this nail and I'm going to seek the blessing of God. I'm not going to seek it elsewhere. I'm going to seek it from you because God, I know that you have what I need. It's not God plus something else. It's God that you would bless me, that you would give to me all that I need and all that you have for me. God, that you would fill me with this. That's what I want. And so the beginning place of his prayer is that God, I don't want this stuff from the world. I don't want this stuff from other people. I want you. That's what I want. Would you give all of yourself to me? And that's what he's praying when he says that you would bless me. But again, rather than being a selfish thing, we realize that at the very heart of his prayer, the reason he wants to be blessed is so that he could be used by God. This is what he says. Oh, that you would bless me and enlarge my territory. What Jabez is saying, he's he's got this territory. He's got his boundary lines right here. And he's saying, God, would you expand these boundary lines so that there will be more people that I could have influence over? That there be more people that I could lead, more people that I could affect for your purposes, for your glory, for your kingdom. That's what I'm wanting. 
God, bless me with everything that you've got so that I, you could use me. Bless me so that I could be a blessing. God, remove the limitations off of my life so that I can be used fully for your purposes. That's what Jabez is praying when he says that you would increase my territory, that you would expand my, uh, enlarge my territory. Saying, let there be no limits to what you can do through my life. And if we begin to, it's, it, I know you're hearing this and you're like, okay, that's cool. But there's something different when we really begin to take this to heart and really begin to pray, God, that you would do these things in my life and expect that as he did for Jabez, that he can do that for you and that he wants to do that for you because these are things that he wants to give. And it's just a matter of opening up the door and saying, God, I want to enter into this stream that is flowing where people are being blessed and used and aided and protected. And rather than living where we are, right? So many times we settle for just mere ordinariness. We settle for just like this sight living rather than living by faith. And he says, open up the doors and take off the limitations of what you can do through me. Take these training wheels off so I can go. I can run. I can fly. You got to do this in my life. I remember after my, my first year in college, one of my, my mentors said to me, you know what, David? There are no limits to what God can do through you. He said, there are no limits to what he can do through you. You just pray that God would use your life. So I said, if that's really true, that there are no limits, that I'm going to begin to pray. I said, God, use me. Within a week, and, I'm, and I don't know if it's always like, I, I doubt it's always like this, but I think the genuine prayer of a heart that wants their territory enlarged, God honors that. And, and within a week, my, my buddy asked me, he said, hey, um, you want to come up, drive up to Northern Virginia two hours this Saturday and teach a Bible study class. I said, okay, I would. It wasn't my church. It was kind of a small church out in the sticks. I said, yeah, I'll do that. And so I taught this group of like eight or nine, uh, seventh and eighth graders how to do a quiet time that week. We drove back and he asked me how it was. I said, it was a lot of fun. I really enjoyed it. It's the first time I felt like I've ever done anything like that where God used me. He said, why don't you come up with me every weekend? And I said, okay, I will. And so for that summer, for two months, just Every week, driving four hours. There was a cost involved. Yeah, I, I had homework to do, and I was in summer school and stuff. But four hours every week, driving, commuting, ministering to these students and seeing them grow. One of these students was a sixth grader named Daniel Chung. Some of you guys know him. I think when we pray this prayer, God, use my life. He desires to enlarge our territory in ways beyond what we could ever know. And so this was a prayer of Jabez. I don't want to be limited to this, like, this, this little thing right here. I think oftentimes we have this idea of the kind of people that God uses. Like I'm, not, I'm not eloquent like John Piper. I'm not, elo- like, I'm not like these people. If only Michael Jordan, if Michael Jordan or LeBron James or Justin Bieber or, or Lady Gaga became a Christian, oh, the influence that they would have. But a lot, of to- a lot of times when God wants to do these great things, he looks beyond the usual suspects. You talk about Piper. From, he says from the time he's in sixth grade until before his junior year in college. And we hear Piper just preaching and, and blowing people away now. But from sixth grade to his junior year in college, he said he had this deathly, just this, this, this awful fear of public speaking. It's not like a funny kind of thing. It's a time like every time he'd go up, people would just feel really awkward and they'd feel sorry for him. And he said, it wasn't like your knees buckling and you start sweating. It's like completely debilitating. It's like physiologically, psychologically crippling where he could do nothing. And every time he, he would have to go, people just looked down and they just felt bad for him and they prayed for him. 
He says, it's, it, it, it's, I mean, you guys talk about stage fright. This is nothing like that. It was completely incapacitating. And so the person's asking, so, so what did you do practically? He's like, nothing I can do practically. But one day, 1966, Piper's not a young man. 1966, when he was at Wheaton College, the chaplain at Wheaton asked him, will you say a prayer in front of 500 people? It's the 30-second prayer. He said 30 seconds, and he says, I don't know what came into me, but I said yes. He said 30 seconds. And so he said he prayed, walking back and forth in front of the chapel. He said, God, if you can just get me through this without me dying, then I promise I will never turn down an invitation out of fear again. That is him basically saying, enlarge my territory if you can get me through this. If you bless me, God, then enlarge my territory. He got through it. The rest is, I mean, our lives are being changed by this man. And so we have this idea that, God, you only use people who are equipped. No way. And you hear this all the time. God doesn't call people to serve him who are equipped to be served, who are equipped to do the work. He equips the ones that he calls to do the work. Like so many times we, we give these excuses of why God can't use us, but he's like, man, just believe and, and just pray, God, use me, enlarge my territory. And we begin to do this. You know, you know what happens? We begin to pray, God, enlarge my territory. Then it changes everything about our lives. You begin to pray, enlarge my ter- territory. Then every conversation that you have could be an opportunity for God's power to, to, to manifest itself there. Do you know that? Every time you go to the hairdresser and you get your hair cut, and they begin to talk about, oh, I had, a, I had a bad day. All of a sudden, you're like, God, my territory could be enlarging right here. Every time you talk to your friend, and I, this happened one time when I was in college. Someone called me up, and I said, hello. And they're like, is Jack there? I was like, Jack doesn't live here. You got the wrong number. They're like, sorry. And they hung up. They called again and said, is Jack there? I said, you, you, called, you called again. You got the wrong number. They're like, oh, I'm sorry. It must be a mistake. I said, you know what? Maybe it's not a mistake. Maybe it's not a mistake. Let me, let me share something with you. And this is weird and wacky, but I, I told them about the love of Christ. I shared the gospel with them. They hung up on me. But who knows, for all that matters, for all I care, this could have been God opening up an opportunity that, that, that a seed of the gospel was planted that perhaps, I don't know, maybe I'll hear when I get to heaven. You know what? You don't know me, but I called looking for Jack, but I found Jesus. Maybe, I don't know. <laughs> who knows? But we begin to pray and enter into the streams that God enlarge my territory. Everything about our lives change. No longer the person who's treating us poorly when we go to uh, Chick-fil-A. It's not just so, oh, why are they being like that? Chick-fil-A people are supposed to be really nice. All of a sudden we begin to realize maybe, uh, maybe this is an opportunity for me to share hope of Christ with them. I wasn't going to share this, but. I wasn't going to share this, but as I've been thinking about this and even been praying about this, God, that you would bless me, that you would enlarge and expand my territory. Um, this Thursday, I, I went to a meeting in our presbytery, our presbytery, Central Florida presbytery, 100 churches, 29,000 people represented in it. Um, I'm part of this one committee. And on Thursday, I went to this meeting, and they uh, basically, the meeting was to tell me, I didn't know this, but the meeting was to tell me that I'd been appointed the, the, the chairman over this committee, one of 20 committees, oversee about 29,000 people. And I, I remember I, I really didn't want to do this because I felt like I didn't have the time to do this. I don't, have, I don't want to do this. But I realized that I'm praying that God is going to enlarge my territory. Then all of a sudden, bam, this door opened for me to bring people onto the 20 different committees of our, of our 
presbytery, and these people who can influence 29,000 people in our, in our churches in Central Florida, then I've got to realize that if I'm going to pray this prayer, then I need to buck up. And I need to be ready to move so that territory can be expanded for the kingdom of God. And I, as you pray this prayer, this is just, it's not just something, oh, let me see, God, if you really will work. This is a prayer saying, if you enter into this prayer, it's going to change the way that you live your life. But are you tired of living the way that you're living? That's the question. Jabez was sick and tired of living, being called sorrow, man of sorrow, being called uh, this, this family, being called this illegitimate child. He said, I want more for my life than that. And I hope and pray that you want more for your life. And just being this like good old, whatever it is, going to church and, 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 and being the, you know, that, that Facebook thing that's got a bunch of little cartoons and, and it, you're supposed to be tagged on. You're the good little church person. I, hopefully we live more than that and want more than that. To me, more than just the, the, the funny one or the one who's always eating or the one who's always late or the one who's always sleeping. That we would rise above that. God, that you would bless me, that you would use me. Oh, that you would bless me indeed and enlarge my territory. But if you do this, if you do this, this is a call for you to get up and move, to go from being a boy to a man, from a girl to being a woman, and to, and to get up and take ownership over that which God has for you. It's not, it's not just rubbing this genie and then poof, he comes out and say, oh, you know what? I don't want to do that anymore. But it's not daring to expect and then to say, God, I want more for my life. I want to step into the stream of God that's moving and working and operating. Jabez began his life in pain. But at the end of the story, it says God granted his request. And just halfway through, halfway through, God has the same for you and for me. Not because it's a magical uh, spell that is being cast, but because of the heart behind it is something. God wants to give you all of himself. God wants to use your life to be a blessing amongst the nations. And if you believe this to be true, then you're entering into a prayer that would lead you into this kind of a stream of life. And it's not because of Jabez, but it's because Isaiah tells us that there would be a Savior who would come into this world, and he would be called a man of sorrows. And as he lived this life, though his name meant God saves, he lived a life filled with pain and sorrow. Galatians chapter 3 tells us that those who die hanging on a cross are cursed. You see, how is it that we can receive the blessing of God? All that he has for us is because at Calvary, on that mountain, on that cross, Jesus Christ took the curse that you and I deserve. He took all of those things that we deserved for our failures, for the ways in which we seek blessing from other people, from lesser fountains, from things that don't satisfy. We were the idolaters, but Jesus took that curse upon himself. And now, for those who put their faith in in, in Christ, Anyone who's a child of God, when the Father looks at us and we pray, oh, that you would bless me indeed, that you would enlarge my territory, God looks upon us as if we had lived the perfect life of Christ, Christ's record for us. And he says, all of me and nothing less I want to give to my child. Would you want that? Holy cow, what would, what would our lives look like? What would our church look like? What would our world look like? If we began to live in this blessing that God wants to give to us. Let's dream. Let's expect. Let's pray. I don't know. I don't know about y'all, but I want this for you. I want this for me. 
and all the praise and glory that could go to God if we would believe him and take him at his word and dare to enter into this kind of a prayer and to surrender our lives in this way so that we could see his glory revealed. That we would can't, couldn't wait to come to church on Sunday to run in to fill out a praise report of how I prayed that God would use me and then he opened up an opportunity for me last time I was at, at, at Kentucky Fried Chicken and I shared with this person who was down and out and they're here at church with me today or whatever that looks like. I prayed, God, that you would open up opportunities for me and, and, and a fellow student in my school asked me if I would be willing to, to, to start a club, an organization with them at our school. And I'm scared to death, but I can't deny that this is God working in my life. What if we began to believe and then began to open up our lives and to begin to realize that life is so much more than just a job and, and going to school and just uh, having a nice family? But it's about living dangerously for the kingdom of God and expecting that he would work and expecting that he would move and expecting that he wants to do that through you, not just through the person three rows away from you, but through you. And he looks beyond what the world sees. He uses people who cannot talk in front of people to raise up a generation passionate for his glory. He uses a crucified carpenter to bring salvation to the world. If you would pray this prayer, right? If you would be in that place where you're ready to pray that prayer, I just invite you to pray that you can open your Bible and just read first Chronicles four, nine and 10. God, that you would bless me. Lord, that you would enlarge my territory. God, that you would do this in my life. And then you would dare to act upon it and dare to dream of the adventure that the Lord God would take you on. Let's take a moment to pray. Maybe for some who are ready, you can pray that prayer. Maybe for others, it's God, help me to get to that place. Maybe for others, you're, you're hesitant, but God's saying, look, man, just take a step. Take a step of faith. Ready or not, here I come. Let's go for it. Let's go for it. Let's, let's go for it, people of God. Let's, let's pray together for a couple moments. We'll continue in our worship through prayer and song. Lord, what would happen if we began to really believe this? What would begin to happen if we began to dream like this again? What would happen, Lord God, if we took you at your word, Lord God, and understood that you began to do this within us? What would happen, Lord God, if we just really began to say, I want you to use me in this way? Almighty God, that you would come and let the glory of the Lord God fall upon our midst, Lord God. Let the glory of the Lord God shine all over us, Lord God. Let the power of your spirit come, Lord God, and do a work in us, Lord God, that can only be done by you. God, all we want is you, Lord God. We don't want the things that this world gives to us. We don't want the things, Lord God, that these these lesser things, Lord God, of the world. We want you to fill us, to satisfy us, to do with us what can only be done by you. So let your glory fall. Let your spirit come, Lord God, that we would dream and that we would expect, that we would long to see more of you, Lord God, that you would raise up testimonies all over this place, Lord God, about the glory of God. Father in heaven, we thank you for our much older brother in the faith, man Jabez, broken like so many of us, filled with sorrow like so many. 
and yet discontent with where he was, that he wanted so much more for his life. Thank you that his life, summarized in just 71 words in our Bible, inspires us to long for more. And so, Father, for all who would be in this place, we ask, oh, that you would bless us indeed, that you would enlarge our territory, that you would let your hand be with us and keep us from harm so that we would be free from pain, and that you would lead us and that you would guide us, that you'd open up these doors so that everywhere we go this week, to our classrooms, to our stores, to our workplaces, to our dinner tables, to the post office, to the gas station, to the convenience store, to the grocery store, to the video store, wherever we go, that you would help us to be on the lookout for how you want to enlarge our territory and that you would bless us indeed so that our character would match the calling that you have for us. We thank you. We love you. We're waiting on you and asking that you would move for your glory and that we would respond in faith. We pray these things in Jesus' name.